Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. We're covering Chapter 6 of the Aeronauts Winlist today with Justin Mason, indie author. What's up, man? Glad to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me on the podcast again. You know, I was just telling you this before we started recording, but uh, I'm enjoying this. Uh, again, not my genre at all, but man, dude. I love the character interactions. And what do we get in chapter six? A little cat on cat character interaction. Am I right, dude? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I'm excited about this chapter too. It, well, let's get into it. Ready? Wait. Oh, I know why you're excited. Prediction. Because you get to do your low voice the entire time. Well, okay. I don't think I am because this is like a <laughs> translation, right? Like, oh, isn't okay. Bridget right. translating or whatever? So I'm not going to do the low voice this time. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Because there's a lot of it. but There um, is a lot of it. So anyway, well, let's just get into it. Chapter 6, Spire Albion, Habble Morning. Summary. Raul watched Little Mouse and her fellow humans behaving foolishly and wondered how soon she would need him to intervene and set things right. Once more, they had slept less than all the humans in, Spire, in the Spire Ark's guard, and once more, the human Gwendolyn and her half-souled cousin thought that they were preparing Little Mouse for some kind of combat, which was ridiculous. The best way to prepare for fighting was to fight. Any kitten knew that. So, this chapter is from the perspective of Rowl. Yes. Which means that we might get some insight into events unknown to the humans, and this chapter delivers on that. Yes, and I really like how right away in the first two paragraphs, like you say, you talk about perspective. You get Rawls' perspective already. Like, what? Like, what? But they tell you things. Now, the author, Jim Butcher's pretty smart, tells us stuff. They were up before all the other humans. That means they're getting up early to train. Like, that's what I picked out of yep. this. I really like that. It's smart writing, dude. Like, I like it. We get Rawls' perspective, but we also get it in human terms, which is cool. Yeah, uh, and we'll go a little bit more in-depth than that at the end of the chapter of what we liked about the chapter. I, okay. I really like how this is from Rawls' perspective because of, you, you know, you get a whole new set of, uh, like, uh, vocabulary, you know? Yeah, interpretations, so, vocabulary, yeah. and feelings. Yeah, uh, but this... I, I did really like how th this is something that's like kind of basic, but for me as like a, um, a non-writer, I noticed this and I was like, Oh, this is cool. This is very simplistic. But sometimes when I read books, I get confused on what perspective we're looking at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jim butcher from the beginning, from chapter one has made it very clear within the first sentence, or at least the first paragraph, whose perspective we're going from. And usually he puts the name of the character that we're going to be in their headspace of in the first sentence. Like this one started with Raul watched Little Mouse, blah, blah, blah. So you know you're with Raul, but then it goes even further with his his frame of mind and, and his phrases and stuff. You know this is Raul. So he's, Jim does a really good job of making sure each character is distinct, but also letting you know we are from this perspective right now. Like back when we were with Gwen and she was talking about how she thinks cats are kind of lame or whatever. You knew that from her perspective. Then when we were with Bridget and she was just, um, you know, kind of scared to join the Spire Arcs guard, but um, her the best friend in her world, Raul, came up, who's a cat. So it's very different perspectives, but you get it um, 
very clearly from Jim. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's part of the reason I love this podcast, Dan, and you and I talk about this off camera all the time is it's a great way to just kind of explore different writing techniques and pick out what we really like and what we don't like about certain pieces of writing. And in this case, I think you nailed it. This is, I mean, right, right away from the start, those first two paragraphs set the tone for the whole chapter. I love it. So let's continue. Rollo observes lazily as he watches Gwen and Benedict train. I really liked how he called uh, uh, Benedict half-sold. Yeah, is that a reference to being warrior-born? I believe so. So since he's yeah, warrior-born, which we know has like feline traits, yeah. um, but he's calling half-cat. Him, yeah, he's calling him half-sold. So that's like his nice. version of warrior-born. Warrior-born. Nice. So we get a lot of funny cat-isms that include yes. Sorry, sorry. Kind of like being a mudblood in Harry Potter, half muggle. Yes, yes, kind right? of like that. Right? Yeah. See, that's that's what I'm thinking. Like that's that's actually right away. I thought of that. I was like, this is a perfect like parallel to that. Well, a mudblood is kind of a de derogatory term. I understand. I'm sure. I'm sure half soul is too. I don't think so. I think he's saying half sold as in he's like paying respect to the fact that this human is going half cat. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> sure. Oh, whatever. You know, it's up to the interpretation of the reader, obviously. We had two different interpretations. Well, and that's what I mean, you know, again, about the podcast. Like, it's a great way for people that have two different opinions to kind of share their thoughts. Personally, when I read it, I immediately thought of the Harry Potter parallel, and I was like, oh, half sold. Oh, he only has half a soul because he's only half cat. Right. Oh, but if he was a cat, he'd be, he'd be fist bumping, right? Right, exactly. But since he's not, we're not going to fist bump. So that's where... It, my like my thinking changes a little bit because I think it might be because I read the book before, but you get a lot more of these cat interactions throughout the book okay. and you, okay. you discover that when they are like demeaning something or pointing out the flaws of things, that's actually their own way of like affection. So even though he's mm. saying half sold, which could come off as like a derogatory thing, it's kind of mm -hmm. like a half respect actually. Just like when she, when Raoul in the last chapter comes up and tells Bridget, hey, these two are dangerous. And then it's explained that dangerous to a cat is actually kind of a mark of like a good badge of honor kind of thing. So if we look at previous interactions, then we can probably deduce that it's not so much derogatory. I mean, it very well could be this way, cat's way of saying the N-word. But that might be a good thing in cat... Um, in cat... Uh, Whatever in in their in their style. Anyway, Fair so enough. we we get a lot of funny catisms that include his various worldviews and a whole different lexicon for describing people and things. For example, he sees the current training activities as Benedict teaching Bridget how to fall, which he sees as ridiculous because of course you don't practice such a thing. One simply lands on one's feet because he's a cat. So we're just constantly yeah. being bombarded with, "Yep, he's a cat. We got it." And so. At first, I thought that was going to be annoying, but it didn't end up being bad. I took this as like, I kind of imagined like some up and coming pro wrestlers learning how to take a bump and fall on their back and get back up, fall on the back and get back up. Like that's, that's how I took it. Yeah. And I was, I was like, oh, that's what they're practicing. I think that's what they are doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Of course, for Raul, since he's a cat, he never falls on his back. He just lands on his feet. Right. So we also learned through Raul's thoughts that, uh, 
he sees human interactions very differently from how we see them. To us, the Lancasters are training Bridget in hand-to-hand -hand combat. To Raoul, his initial thoughts were that Gwen was trying to eliminate a potential rival, and Cousin Benny was trying to claim mating rights, both of which Raoul would have stepped in and set things straight. But after several days of just regular training and interactions, Raoul allows this to continue. Then we're introduced to a new character. This is from the book. Raoul sensed a pressure change in the air against the fur of his flank and whiskers and lazily tilted an ear in that direction. There was a whisper of motion, utterly inaudible to anyone but a cat, with all the commotion the humans were making to cover it, and Merle emerged from the shadows. Merle! We get a new cat. Raoul, Merle. Yeah, they're all kind of like these noises. Oh, yeah. Yes, very cat-like names. I like it. I like so Merle is a small black cat who is one of Chieftain Maul's whiskers, spies used to gather and deliver information. What she lacks in size, she made up, makes up for in swiftness and intelligence. Merle is also unimpressed with the display of the training from the humans, but gets down to business quickly and reminds Raoul that Maul sends his greetings to Raoul and that he is to do his duty or he will notch his ears. What did you think of, of Merle uh, on on first blush? Yeah, like the personality. These cats ooze personality almost sometimes more than the actual humans. Mm -hmm. And it's funny as hell. I, I Here's the thing, dude. I love the interactions between these cats. I think they have both ooze personality. And I like how we have whiskers, right? Yes. They have I'm glad you terms brought that for up. all. They're not assassins or spies. They're whiskers. I love it. Yes, that's kind of what I was talking about with the different lexicon. Um, whiskers yeah. sounds very close to whispers or someone someone mm. that would be, you know, if someone's your spy or something, they would be like your one of your hands or something yeah, like yeah. that. For a, a chieftain cat, it might be the whisker or, uh, you know, a like paw. a paw or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I like that too. Oh, yeah. For yeah, sure. that's I'm glad that you pointed that out. So Raul simply responds... I know what I am to do. Is that all? So we've got our first question of the chapter. What is Raoul's mission? We thought it was just a blanket, go make nice with the humans and earn your right to be acknowledged and inspire Albion society. But the fact that Merle, a spy for Maul, had to remind Raoul of his duty leads me to think that there might be something more to his mission. Because why would you send a spy just to remind you to, you know, yeah. you know make moves to become part of society or whatever? Yo, be their buddies, man. Mm, I think there's something more going on. So Merle then moves on to her next message, which has to do with a person she calls Long Thinker, confirming a report from the silent pause about new things in the air shafts. Okay, so we're going to have to break that down a little bit. So she says Long Thinker has confirmed the reports from the silent pause, which is their clan, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um Maul is the clan chieftain of the Silent Paws. And Longthinker, we don't know who this is, but Longthinker says, yeah, there's stuff down there. And Raoul's like, yeah, those new things I heard about. The name Longthinker, right away, if you look at it in terms of cat. Now, I tried to break this down because I didn't know who this was. But I immediately saw this as being like a visionary or like mm -hmm. a seer. Maybe. Yes, it I thought the same thing. Tribe. I was like, hmm, maybe that's a shaman in the cat tribe or something. Could be, could be something along those lines. So again, dude, these catisms, these lexicons, they got me going back and forth. They got me thinking about what could that mean? What, what could this mean? You know, and I, I 
again, dude, we've said it before. It's smart writing. It's entertaining. And it kept me hooked the whole chapter. Raul asks if they are at war then. But Merle says that Longthinker wants to know who the enemy is first before engaging. These new things have been silently taking out other cats from various tribes like the Shadow Tails and the Quick Claws, along with several more. We then learn from Raul that Longthinker, although not a cat, is clever, wise, and honorable. So we know that Longthinker is probably a person, but not a cat. So just in the same way that Little Mouse has been given a name, and um, what do they call uh, Little Mouse's dad? Uh, like truce keeper or something like that. So that this is a person that is of high esteem, especially to Maul or especially to Raul. So Raul insists that uh, Merle pass along a message to his father that they declare war immediately and without restriction. She promises to tell Maul, but says he will not take heed being like, yeah, I'll tell him, but he's not going to listen to you or he's not going to listen to that. Uh, then Merle shares with Raul that she has seen such fighting fight teaching before down at the Temple of the Way in Habel Landing. So she's talking about the training that's going on, and and they kind of make fun with each other about how ridiculous the fighting looks. Um, and she's like, oh, I've seen this before down in uh, Habel Landing. And Raul's surprised that she would go down all that way, which is like, we don't really know how far Habel Landing is from Habel Morning. It is it is the layer below or whatever. Um, but by Raul saying that he's surprised, like, what were you doing all the way down there? That gives us an idea of, like, oh, that's, like, places where you're starting to get to the edge, where you're not really, you know, that's not really the area that we hang. But she insists that she was down there at, uh, for her duty as a whisker. So she's, you know, gathering intel and stuff. She says that she saw many of them doing the same, something resembling this, only with different clothing. Raul asks if they, they looked foolish as well, and she said many did, but others less so. They moved <laughs> less poorly. Not so well as a cat, of course, and they both agreed. Of course, of course, yeah, no, they're not going to look like a cat. <laughs> Merle thinks there might be something to the teaching. So we get another mention of the way and that Merle even sees some potential in the teaching. And the fact that she recognizes it means that Benedict must be pretty decent at it. And what I'm saying there, what I'm trying to get at is she's seen them do that at the temple of the way where the, the monks of the way are doing their little fighting with each other. And Benedict is teaching Bridget the way and he's teaching her to the point where Merle, a spy for Maul, recognizes it, it as that. So Benedict must be kind of decent at the way, or at least like a novice, you know. We're, we're, I looked it up. I wanted to know. Word Keeper is Bridget's Word father. Keeper. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. It says a lot about him. And it, it will come up. Uh, exactly. And that's the cool thing about these names that are given from cats is like, it gives you an uh, indication of who the person is. However, Little Mouse, uh, I mean, I think that's just a joke name. You know, it's a, I think Little an Mouse. Endearment. See, I look deeper than that. Little Mouse. See, cats hunt mice. Yeah. And I think that's a way for, again, I, I interpret things differently. I think that's a way of Raul's ego coming out, maybe putting himself above Bridget even. Mm. Yeah. Saying, mm, I look over you little mouse right it's not the other way around you aren't big mouse you aren't you know you aren't you know smart mouse you are little 
mouse. The term little mouse implies insignificance, even if it's not on purpose, even if it's not meant to be derogatory, it is a way to look at it. And it also is kind of a funny name too, because she's so obviously big compared to other mm-hmm. women, you know, um, almost. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's like naming the guy, the bald guy in the lumberyard curly, his nickname is curly, even though he has no hair, you know, like it's, yeah. Why are you curly? You have no hair. Yep. Figure it out. <laughs> uh, Merle asks Raul who little mouse is to fight. And Raul says a male that aimed words of pain at Wordkeeper. Okay, so that just came up. And now they plan to fight. Merle doesn't understand why Little Mouse doesn't just find the male in his sleep and kill him. And Raul (laughs) says that it hasn't happened yet. But if he tries to find Little Mouse in her sleep, that he would rip his eyes out. And Merle seems to like that, but warns that humans are no easy prey, even for the mighty Raul. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ooh, mighty Raul. There's some back and forth here. I like it. It almost came off as like, it, you know, it was a back and forth, but it also seemed like, okay, maybe Raul holds a higher standing than I expected. Obviously, he does. He's like the prince of the silent pause if his dad is Maul, the chieftain. But he also actually in her eyes is mighty Raul. You know, even though she's teasing him, it's also, there's probably something to it. She teases him further and Raul bats at her nose, but without his claws extended. This is like a playful exchange of, yep. not dick wagging. I think this is a little bit, this is almost, I think romantic is the wrong word. No, I think little, it is. There's a, there's a little flirting going. Flirting, that's what I'm looking yes. for. There's a little cat flirtation going We're on. We're caught in a cat romance here, and this is what it looks like. So teasingly, she gets away and flicks her tail. Raul asks if he will see her again soon, and she says maybe that it depends on her mood and slinks off into the darkness. And this is the end of that, of that part in the book. I really liked how... Raul capped this portion off. Raul watched her go, the insufferable female. He stared after her for a moment, his tail lashing thoughtfully. Insubordinate, but quick and beautiful and never, ever boring. Perhaps he would compose a song for her. Oh, there's some kitten romance going on here, Got a little kitty. Yeah, little kitty love going on. So then we get a page break. And I think this is the first page break in the book where we, within one chapter, we're jumping to a different part. Yeah, yeah. So now that training was done, Raul hops onto his usual spot on Bridget's arm, and they head to the market for breakfast, where we get a little more world building in its description. So from the book, this is the description of the marketplace. Please do. The marketplace was a sea of stalls and small buildings set in the center of the havel, surrounding the spire lord's manor. About a quarter of the stalls were made of spire stone, originally placed there by someone the humans called the builders. The remainder were made mostly of brick, their doors and vending windows now covered with hide stretched over frames. Some of the more well-to-do shops use wood from the jungle-covered surface, painstakingly transported up miles of spire. I mean, dude, I can literally freaking see it. Yeah, and it's just one paragraph, but it gives you like a ton of shit. And now I want to go to the jungle-covered surface, Me and too. I want a whole book exploring that shit. I would love that, dude. Because it's like, as far as we know, you don't go to the surface, but maybe there's like a, a kind of a brimming outskirt market of getting these exotic woods and stuff from the, the surface and working your way back up the spire, you know. And I think that's I think that's pretty cool. 
I also like that we have uh, the spire stone that was originally placed by someone the humans called the builders. So we're kind of getting like these ancient ones and builders. I mean, I just think of your some of your writing where you have like the build world builder and stuff like that. The world builder. I immediately thought of the world builder when I read that. And I'm just like, oh, that was a long time ago. Holy crap. Well, this book was a long time ago, too. So maybe you guys were both on the same wavelength. So they head over uh, They head over to the food stall that smelled best to Raul, and the owners knew Benedict as Raul notes that they greet him by name every morning. He says it's probably due to his hunger that half-souls, or warrior-borns, bodies burn hotter than humans, and he had to eat more because of it. So what do you call that when you, um, when you burn a lot of calories? What is that called? You have a high... Thermal energy? I don't know. No, I mean, as... Oh, metabolism. Metabolism. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, so you got high metabolism with these warrior born. They got to eat like twice as much as a regular person. So, of course, he knows the people of the food stalls. They discuss training, and Raul's careful not to insult them with his responses. When asked what he thought of the training, instead of saying that he thought it was ridiculous, he said it looked painful. So, from the book, this is uh, Benedict's response. It can be, Benedict said. But in actual fight, you might be injured and need to function anyway. Little pains now could save a life later. Cutting Reggie's throat in his sleep could do so as well, Raul said, an eyed little mouse. She rolled her eyes, translating that, and human Gwendolyn promptly began choking on some of her food. So, Dude, this is funny shit. It was good. I really liked this little... Basically, what's happening here is, you know, uh, Bridget is translating this conversation between um, Gwen... Benedict and Raul and Raul's just saying what comes to his mind, which is brutal. And they think it's hilarious. This is kind of their like first interaction with a cat. Well, here's the thing though, dude, other than actually killing the guy, which I don't think they want to do. They probably agree with him. Yeah. Like, let's beat his ass in his sleep. Let's, let's break his legs. You know, let's be done with this shit. So the conversation goes like that with Gwen Pound pointing out how direct Raul is, which I think she admires. Benny describes why it is important for them that they not flat out kill Reggie because he is a member of a large, powerful family, that his second is also an aster of a cadet branch of the house. And if anything happened to him, the family might take vengeance. Raul points out how one-sided this is and that Bridget has to be careful, but Reggie doesn't because she doesn't have a large family to take vengeance for her. When Benny is cautious about responding how most duels don't end lethally, but if did, if it did, then pressure could be brought upon uh, a product against House Aster, then Raul hits him with a point-blank question. If he kills Little Mouse, Raul asked, would the House of Lancaster then war upon House of Aster. Benedict and Gwendolyn exchange a long look. I don't think so. Then this pressure you speak of is a paw without claws, Raoul said. It will do nothing to truly prevent his action. Gwendolyn abruptly leaned across the table, looked hard at Raoul, and said firmly, if any such thing happens to Miss Tagwin, Master Raoul, I personally challenge Reggie with gauntlets and blow a hole in him large enough for a cat to leap through. You have my word on that. I loved this exchange. This was great because this showed we have characters developing and we have friendships forming between these otherwise characters that didn't get along before. And I'm speaking, of course, of Little Mouse and Gwendolyn. And I really like this. Yeah. And Benedict is being honest. He's saying like, you know, they They usually don't don't end in death. But if they did, you know, maybe some pressure could be put upon the house. And Raul just calls him out on that. He's like, well, 
Little Mouse doesn't have a big-ass family that can do vengeance back. So what you're saying is a paw without claws, my man. He's kind of put in his place a little bit to think, like, yeah, this is kind of messed up. But Gwen does step up to the plate, and I really like that because it's like, okay, yeah, now we got someone on our side. Like you said, now we're, we're seeing, like, the bonds actually forming. Benedict kind of, to me, seems like he knows that's the right answer all along. But he, I mean, I, I get this feeling from Benedict that he would do the right thing if it came to it, but he's not going to put himself out there. Whereas Gwen, she has less restraint. You know, she doesn't really think of things through and she'll just say what's in her mind. But that's what's nice about that is you get to see her true like spirit and what she really is thinking. And in this situation, she's like, you know what? I'm with you guys. If, if that asshole does something, I will personally put a hole through that guy. You know? Yep. So I like that. So Bridget, but Bridget, so they're all just talking to each other and Bridget's just kind of being the translator and she's hearing about how like she's going to die and shit. And so Bridget's yeah. not impressed with this line of thinking and basically says, so I'm going to die now. Why even bother wasting money on breakfast for a dead woman? And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Rel reminds her that it was her foolishness that got her into this mess in the first place. And Benny wants to know what Rel said. Because he goes on about saying, it's your foolishness. Now let smarter uh, people discuss how to deal with it. And so then Benedict is like blinking and looking between Bridget and Raul. is like, so what did he say? And then Bridget says that he wants a bath. <laughs> and I thought that was good because it's like, yeah, cats love water, right? Um, and he's like, why do you have to be so immature, you know? Yeah, you need to grow out of these childish phases. So before the chapter comes to a close, Barnaby, Reggie's second, approaches the table to finalize the details of the duel. Gwen tries to dissuade Barnaby from being Reggie's second, but he simply states that he's blood. And if he doesn't do it, some hot, some other hothead would. Basically seeing like, eh, you know, I know my cousin's a fucking dweeb. But better me Probably. being the second than someone who, yeah. who's trying to like work his way up in the house or whatever. Yeah, and we'll probably help her get killed, yeah. And Benedict knows Barnaby and says that he's sorry that he had to be involved. So you get this feeling like Barnaby is cool with Benny and, like, yep. you know, they train together and shit, and he's like, oh, dude, sorry you had to get involved, but, like, I'm I'm glad it's you, I guess, you know. So they they're they kind of know each other. Then Barnaby asks who will be the second for Miss Tagwin, and both Gwen and Benedict say that they are at the same time, which is cool, but... Before anyone can clarify, Raul pounces directly at Barnaby's eyes, causing him to fall on his back in surprise, and Raul declares that he is the second, that they will fight unarmed in the market at noon seven days from now. Let's go! <laughs> it was cool because, That's what I, yeah, yeah, he was like, I, was I am Raul, kit of chieftain mall of the Ma, silent don't mess with me yeah. i'll slap this shit out of you boy <laughs> it was it was cool and you know uh bridget's translating this kind of like in a okay he's saying this to you and barnaby can't really believe it here's barnaby's response from the book barnabas stared some more eyeing the cat then little mouse's translation benedict he said a moment later Reggie picked an idiotic moment to indulge his taste for duels, but this is beyond the pale. A cat as her second? What will people think? Benedict pursed his lips thoughtfully. If it were me, 
I'd probably think that Reggie was one of the scum of the great houses, throwing his weight around against some someone like Miss Tagwin. But I think you're missing the point here, ben Barney. And what point would that be? He demanded. Him, Benedict said, and pointed right at Raoul. This is where Barnaby's like, dude, we, we can't have a cat as a second. What will people think of this kind of thing? And Benedict's like, dude, first of all, your cousin's a doucher. And I think that's what people will think. Secondly, you're missing the point here. That cat is going to be the second. You can't do anything about it. I love this chapter, dude. There was so much going on and so much setup here. But the way it's written, the way Jim writes this, it's so interesting that even though there's no like ship battles or actual fighting, we talk about this all the time, dude. I'm still sitting here reading this the other night like, can I have another chapter exactly like this? Because this was awesome. Yeah, it's very good. And so uh, that chapter ends just right there. Bridget confirms yep. with Raul that um, this is what Maul would want, what Chieftain Maul would want. And Raul's like, of course it is. And then um, it's decided. And even if Barnaby doesn't understand now, uh, Bridget says that he will understand in one week's time, which is uh, kind of cool. She's like, all right, we're doing this. So we're at the end of the chapter. You said that you liked it. You liked the interactions between the characters. You liked um, awesome. the knowledge and stuff um, awesome. that's being shared. I, I like the new vocabulary that we're introduced to. And um, it does two things for me. First, um, it really gets us into the mind of Raul and through him, the cat world itself. And through his interactions with Merle, Whisker of Chieftain Maul, that Raul may be more of an honorable type. So... When he describes Merle, he describes her as a spy. Uh, she, you can't really see her that, you know, she's she's always hiding in the darkness. She's sly. She's fast. She's sneaky. Mm -hmm. But she also says mighty Raoul. And the things that she does, he may look down upon saying, like, you, you talk too much for your own good or whatever. It seems like he has this kind of honor code with him. So even though we see him as like a bitchy cat, He's actually one of the more honorable ones and likes to go with straightforward. I mean, it through his actions and through his what his uh, plan for battle is, he's like, yo, if they're taking us out, let's declare war right now, uh, take off restrictions, and we'll just kill them before they can find our nest. That's a very straightforward warrior-style thing to do, whereas Merle's yeah. more like, nah, we want to see what, you know. Long thinker wants to more, see what's up. We need some more data first. You know, we need some more information before we strike. So I like that because um, it shows us that not all cats are just blatantly cat, which would be a funny way to do it. And you could do it that way. But in this situation, we have different types of cats. So we're mm -hmm. introduced to one other type of cat, but we're also introduced to two other diff like different clans. One was called mm -hmm. like... Um, we had the quick claws, quick claws, silent, 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 something. The shadow paws shadow, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like and that. And the many more. And the fact that Maul has whiskers, so like spies, and Maul has mm -hmm. Raoul, which is like a warrior style. You know, there's going to be all these different types of cats. So I, I like that. It, it flushes that out like a little bit. And second, it lets us in on Raoul's secret knowledge. So in the last chapter, Raoul came out slinking out of the darkness doing his own cat thing, never says anything to Bridget about where he's been. The, we're actually getting a, a peek into what Raul does on the side. So without actually giving away anything, 
he tells us in in their own code in their cat speak. So what I mean by that is, um, so we learn that long thinker doesn't know what the new things in the air shaft are yet. So we know exactly what we need to know, but we're left with more questions. So who is long thinker and what are the new things? But he's telling us, he's just telling us right now. He's like, yeah, long thinker says that the new things are in the air shafts. We've got it confirmed and we're th waiting to find out more details for a cat for Raul. Of course that makes sense. Yes. Okay. Long thinker. We know long thinker he's honorable and blah, blah, blah. But us as the reader, we're like, who is long thinker? You know, yeah, what the hell is going on? Yeah. how did he earn such an honorable title? You know, and what are the new things in the shafts? Raul knows what the new things in the shafts are. He's, he's claimed to, I mean, I think maybe he's seen one or has heard of it or have talked to people who have seen them. So he knows it, but us as the reader are left going, Oh, what is going on? So Jim Butcher's giving us all these like spoilers without actually spoiling it because it's yeah. all in cat speak. So that's what I it's loved about this chapter. Very, very smart writing in this chapter. And that's uh, that's going to do it for chapter six. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It got me ready for chapter seven. And man, dude, when we come back next time, chapter seven is spicy. It's a banger, dude. And oh, we we, we get back to Captain Grimm. I love Ugh. me some Captain Grimm. It's going to be good, bro. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Random Book Club Podcast. We'll catch you on the next one.